Business Women Rock, episode 40. Ladies, it's time to rock. Welcome to the Business Women Rock podcast, where we get down and dirty with the world's most incredible business women. Inspire your journey by listening to theirs. And now, here's your host, Katie Kremitzos. What's up, ladies? Welcome to the Business Women Rock podcast. I'm so stoked that you're here. Major reason, got a huge, huge, amazing interview for you today. Second reason, want to make sure that you know about our exclusive Facebook group called BWR Connect. I would love for you to be a part of it. It's a really great interactive community, a chance for you to ask business questions of your fellow superwomen, some awesome, amazing businesswomen out there, see what they're doing, you know, get advice from one another, share your successes, all the great things that are going on. All you have to do to become a part of it is go to bizwomenrock.com and you'll see the opt-in available there to get invited to the group, okay? I would love to see you there. And now on with the show. My guest today is Chicky Fitzgerald, who's the owner of Solutions. Chicky is such a great story of corporate gal turned very successful entrepreneur. Back in the days before Kayak or Travelocity or what's the other one? Priceline actually existed. Um, companies like Sabre, which was owned by American Airlines and Worldspan, we're actually out there basically kind of doing internally what those websites now do that, you know, making the connect, getting you the best deals, all that sort of stuff. And Chicky was raised and grew up as a professional within that corporate space. And not only was she in that corporate space, but this girl was like super high level, C-suite level executive in that space. She then ended up creating her own consulting practice with clients like AAA, American Express, and LasVegas.com. She had a lot of ups and downs during her entrepreneurial experience and is now someone who actually creates an incubator, works with her clients, and ends up investing in them to get these really cool travel technologies to the market. She has got an incredible story. It is up, down. I mean, it's like for a book, I'm telling you. She was wonderful. She is incredibly open and vulnerable about all of these different experiences that she had. And I'm so excited for you to listen to it because there are so many things that you can learn and take away, not only professionally, but personally as well. So turn up the volume. The interview starts now. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, it is my pleasure. What a gorgeous day we have in Florida. Oh, it's absolutely beautiful down here. So I want to get into your story because I'll be very frank with you. Your story and your business history and your business journey is so peppered and robust. And you've just got a lot that has happened and a lot going on. And it's full of really great nuggets of wisdom. So I want to dig right in. You really have had sort of three major phases of your business life. And I really want to start with the very first phase, which was your corporate history and your kind of working up the ladder as a corporate gal and the experiences that you've had there. And you've had some major experience with some major businesses as a corporate gal. So can you kind of talk a little bit about your rise to the top within the corporate industry and your journey there as a businesswoman? Absolutely. And I will just tell you, I am one of the most unlikely corporate success stories that you will ever hear because what I didn't tell you when we were speaking before the show 
is that I'm a college dropout. And I, I hesitate to talk about that in front of my teenage children <laughs> because clearly <laughs> I'm trying to groom them to want something bigger. But I wrote a paper when I was a freshman in college about the value of experience versus education. And I got an A plus on the paper, and I took that paper home over the holidays at the end of first semester to my parents and told them I wanted to quit and come home and get a job. And and I did. And they were very supportive. They knew how bright I was and, and that if anybody could overcome not having a college degree, it would be me. So I actually came home, and I had gone to Oral Roberts University, and the job that I ended up getting was at Miller Brewing Company. So I, like I said, completely unlikely to have succeeded, but that's where I started my my corporate life. So you're working at Miller Brewing Company, and then you ended up with some pretty high positions in corporate. So can you talk a little bit about that journey? I will. And the funniest story is actually when I was at Miller Brewing Company, I had to have some surgery and I was out for eight weeks. And when I came back from my surgery, somebody said, you weren't here yesterday, were you? And I thought, oh my God, I felt so insignificant. And I thought, I do not want to work for a large company because this this is crazy that they didn't miss me. So I left and went to work actually in the food brokerage business, which was kind of just a short transition before I got into the travel industry. Took some time off, went to Europe with my parents, figuring it was really the last time I was going to get to spend concerted time with them. And when I came back, I went to an employment agency, not knowing that a college dropout wasn't a really good candidate. But they had two jobs that I was qualified for because my background really had been accounting jobs. And they said I could either work for an attorney or a travel agency. And I thought, well, attorney doesn't sound like much fun. How about we go with the travel agency? So that was my first job in the travel industry back in 1978, which was the first year that they were installing computers in the travel agent to do the reservations process. And so over the course of the next, well, really here we are 34 years later and I'm still a part of the travel industry, but I went to work for some of the top companies in travel technology, Sabre, which was founded by American Airlines. And then after I left Sabre, I went to work for a company named Worldspan that was owned by Delta Northwest and TWA. So that was really the core of my corporate jobs. But I ended up being the head of international business development and doing strategic planning for both companies. So it was great fun, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. I I often tell people that I went to American University because American Airlines was such a great place to learn. In these companies, as you have mentioned, you really have these high leader roles in these companies. So what was that like? Like, what were you learning about business, sort of being able to oversee this international strategic position? Well, what I learned was that the education piece, which had been drilled into me, was going to be so important. Once you're inside a company, it really doesn't have much bearing. It really is how versatile are you, how quickly can you learn, And for me, it was how comfortable are you with a blank sheet of paper? Because I found that there were two different kinds of people in corporate life, those who needed a script. And if they had the script, they could do any job. So tell me what the requirements are and what my my daily duties are. But for me, I always ended up in starting new divisions and taking an idea and taking it internationally. 
And I was really good with the blank sheet of paper of putting the form and sub- substance together. So when I moved into phase two of my career, which we'll talk about in a minute, I really learned that I had been an internal consultant to the company the whole time. I didn't realize I had all the makings of a great consultant. Now, can you explain a little bit more about what companies like Sabre and Worldspan were actually doing? Like, what exactly were you doing in the travel industry? What was that product and service and what was going on back then? That's a really great question because Sabre is fairly well known as a brand name. They're the ones who launched Travelocity and very early on, they actually had a product called Commercial Sabre and Easy Sabre. And those products are are fundamentally to book travel, to uh, electronic products, both for travel agencies, consumers, and corporations, to book air, car, and hotel. And I had started my career with Sabre in the accounting side of the business of installing accounting systems in travel agencies, and then later on moved into taking the business of selling Sabre uh, into Latin America and into Asia, which is how uh, you know I got the international side of my career going. So essentially, I became an expert at marrying buyers and sellers using technology to do that. I think that's so fascinating. And so you were really at the front end of all that technology, all those things that we take for granted right now, the kayaks, the travelocities, the price lines, all those sorts of things that we use on a regular basis to be able to book travel. You were really at the front end of all of that. Absolutely. And it was it was great fun. And, you know, working for Sabre, I, I always tell people, I worked for Sabre when everybody in the industry still liked each other. We're at the place now in my industry where the airlines aren't really sure that they like the distribution channels. They definitely don't like the online travel agencies because they have to pay them a commission and they think that they should be able to get the business themselves. And so this whole issue of distribution and multi-channel distribution is really what I became an expert in that particular field of all the different nuances of how suppliers could sell their products. So you had really had all of this corporate experience. What was the impetus that made you step outside of corporate and start your own company? Well, there are just a a couple of things I need to fill in there. I had stayed at Sabre for 10 years, and I was in the joint ventures group managing the Latin American market. And what I found during that time was I was working for a company in joint ventures that didn't fundamentally believe in joint ventures and partnership. And so I thought finding a company that was a better fit for someone who believes so strongly in partnership as a way to grow businesses. And so I moved to Worldspan, which again at the time was owned by Delta Northwest and TWA. So I thought a company that is a partnership is going to be a better fit and, and be more open to my ideas. And I was actually hired there to do a merger with the major European competitor, which was called Amadeus. And so worked for them for a few years and then ended up getting recruited to a technology and telecommunications company called CETA that was based in Paris. And so I was traveling back and forth between Atlanta and Paris quite frequently, and my boss was French. And the thing that caused me to leave corporate America was when he asked me, when we were building a a, a new division for the company, he asked me if I knew of any powerful guys for the VP of marketing. And it would really help if he looked a little like a football player. And I sat across from him. (laughs) I'm not, I am not making this up. You can't make this up. 
So I am looking at him thinking he probably doesn't know that you can even say that out loud here in the United States. Maybe this is normal in France. And I, I don't even remember responding to him. But I went home that night and I said to my husband, I don't think he even knows what I do because he hadn't been the one to hire me. And so I took my resume into him the next day and I said, Didier, I think you need to actually see that I have all of the characteristics of what you're looking for. Minus the football player looking part. Yeah, know? well, I don't look like a football <laughs> player and I'm not the right gender. Uh, but he ended up saying, well, you know, I think you're really a better fit as the chief information officer. And I mean, this is a billion dollar telecommunications company. And I'm thinking, you know, that's really not where I want to go. I had just spent a year doing a year-long business process re-engineering company, and this is a, a company that was in 236 countries, bigger than British Telecom and AT&T, but it was owned by the travel industry, so nobody had ever heard of them. And we had been doing a project with Morgan Stanley Capital Partners to actually spin off the assets of this company, which was a not-for-profit cooperative, into a for-profit company. And so when he told me he wanted to work me to work in this internally focused group as the CTO or CIO, I just decided I couldn't stay. I couldn't stay working for a man who really felt more comfortable sending me for coffee than asking me about strategy. And so I decided my mother had just had a stroke, so I really felt I needed to devote some time to my family and so I, I flew back to Milwaukee. I told him the night before I left that I was resigning, and he was stunned. But it was the right thing. And even though they went on to spin that company off into a for-profit company that went public, and all the guys who were working on it made a zillion dollars, but I left with my self-esteem. <laughs> Yay, me. <laughs> wow. So you flew back to Milwaukee. You spent time with your family. And then how did, how did Solutions, your consulting company, how did that come about? Well, again, it, it wasn't planned. And like most people who end up doing consulting, at first you think, I'm going to do this until I get my next role. But what happened was, as I was networking with the folks that I knew in Atlanta, and I had worked uh, you know, with, with really two of the biggest companies in the travel industry in Atlanta, Worldspan and CETA. And so there wasn't a lot for me there. I mean, there was Holiday Inn, which became IHG, but I really didn't have the hospitality industry experience. So I just started calling people that I knew. And they'd say, well, I don't know about any jobs, but this one needs a marketing plan and that one needs a business plan and this one needs a market entry strategy into Europe. And so I started doing projects and decided fairly quickly that I needed to give my company a, a name. And at the time, the company name was Mtech Strategies because I figured I was doing you know, a little bit of marketing, a little bit of technology, so Mtech felt right. I knew instinctively that I shouldn't name the company after myself. That wasn't a good long-term strategy. But I ended up getting some really major consulting roles, and they were just a lot of fun. And the real turning point for me and, and that all happened around the 1996 time frame. And in 98, I had my daughter, was 40 years old, and had my first child. And so I slowed down a little bit on the consulting, but I could still, working part-time, make more than I made in corporate life. And so that felt really good to me. And my husband had uh, gone back into sales and had a fairly good income that 
at least kept things even if I didn't have consulting all the time, which anybody who's ever gone out to work for themselves, particularly in consulting, you spend a lot of time winning business, you perform the business, and you, then you think, oh, crap, I don't have anything coming up. And you can go three, four, five months without anything. Now, I was really fortunate because every time I was winding something down, the phone rang and someone else would have something. So I want to dig in a little bit deeper to the experience you had as a a trained corporate girl transitioning into an entrepreneurial role. Can you talk a little bit about what that transition was like for you? What were some of the best parts about it? And what were some of the most challenging parts? Well, as I mentioned, the, the ebb and flow of it probably was the most difficult, but more for my husband than for me. He had really liked the regular paycheck. And when we got married, I didn't get married until I was 33. And as I mentioned, I I didn't become a mother until I was 40. We always knew that I was going to be the breadwinner of the family. And I didn't have any problem with that. He was a great husband, but I didn't look to him to be the primary breadwinner. So when I decided to leave CETA and went to spend some time with my mom, I told him he needed to go out and get a job because we needed insurance. We needed some of the basics. And fortunately, he was a great salesperson. He could go out and do that. And so he got a job. And I found that the most difficult thing uh, for us in the early stages was managing, again, the ebb and flow of the money. And then also the fact that most of my consulting jobs meant that I had to travel. So here we had made the decision to become parents. And now all of a sudden, I was on the road all the time. So... I would say that that was the most significant. In fact, my very first million-dollar consulting gig was with Carlson Companies. And we had the call talking about the project on a Thursday. And they said, great, well, then we're going to start on Monday. And you're going to be here four days a week. Well, I had an 18-month-old. And I'm thinking, I swear to God, I had never cried in a business situation before. But I cried all the way to the airport for that first trip. And so being away from my daughter was a really tough part of that. But we managed that. My husband ended up, when we moved to Florida a couple of years later, while we were waiting to get a nanny, he decided to stay home. And so he became Mr. Mom for the better part of the last 15 years. And we had a full-time live-in nanny, but he managed the household. He managed the kids and the nanny and his mother, who by that time we had moved across the street from us. So I think it was just really managing the, the level of business. As I had mentioned, to you earlier, when I had been in corporate life, I really had been a consultant for a long time. So the work didn't really shift. It was walking in with a blank sheet of paper. Quite often somebody said, I want to do this. I don't know how to get from here to there. Or we're trying to accomplish this level of profitability and we're just not able to move the needle. My big thing was differentiation and helping them really figure out how to set themselves apart. So the work part of it was the easy part. Now, you dipped into this before talking about your first million dollar client. You're not talking about small potato clients that you've had. So, you know, give us some insight as to what you did to be able to actually acquire these big time clients. (laughs) I mean, was this really just kind of utilizing and leveraging the contacts that you had had from corporate or what were you doing to really get in front of and secure those contracts? Well, there are a couple of stories that will come out of this that, that just are a lot of fun. But one is a piece of advice that I give to anybody who thinks they might want to be a consultant. The first thing that happened to me, and I won't even say that I sought this out, but 
someone called me and asked me if I would write a book about the global distribution industry. And I thought this was a great idea. I mean, the book itself was going to sell for $995. So this wasn't an Amazon kind of book. This was an industry tome. And so I agreed to do it. Uh, I thought I was a great negotiator and negotiated that I would get 25% of the proceeds. And I had no idea how much work it was going to be. But it was the best investment that I ever made because prior to writing the book, I was charging in the neighborhood of $1,000 a day for my services. And after that first book came out, I was able to command two and $3,000 a day for my services. And, and over the years, that climbed even higher than that. But once that book was published, I would say the floodgates just opened. I started getting calls from what was then Ernst & Young, and they would call me in as a subject matter expert on any project that they had that was travel industry related. And so the project with Carlson Companies was through Ernst & Young. I was a subcontractor to them, but I put together my own project team to build the travel portion of the portal that they were bringing. And the funny thing is what led to my second million-dollar project was at the very end of that project, they brought in some guys who were engineers with Intel, and they were building this new little thing called the Pentium 4 chip. And they needed something that in business that would actually create a demand for that power that they were building into the chip. So we were sitting in this meeting, and I got called in at the last minute to even participate. And so I was trying to give them some insight about the travel industry. Well, after the meeting, they called me aside and they said, could we hire you for a half a day to teach us about travel technology? And I said, sure. And the other half a day, you can teach me how to build a chip. Because what they were asking was so preposterous that you could learn about the intricacies of this industry that I was expert on in a half a day. And that turned into a year-long project to build a new mobile product for them. And then the third million-dollar or multi-million-dollar project at that point was I got a phone call from three guys from Las Vegas. One was with the newspaper, one was with Mandalay Resort Group, and one was with Park Place Entertainment. And they said, we need a new booking engine for our website. And I'm like, oh, really? And it turns out the website is LasVegas.com. And as I dug into it, it's like they needed a whole lot more than that. They needed to form a joint venture company. They needed to get rid of the newspaper as a partner. And we ended up, over the course of the next 18 months, building the new independent company, LasVegas.com. So those are probably the most notable and, and certainly the largest of my consulting work. After that, things kind of were smaller. I mean, still half a million dollar projects, quarter of a million dollar projects for people like American Express, AAA, AARP, Orbitz, quite a number of, of uh, very well-known brands, but doing more strategic work and helping them grow and differentiate. What I so much love about that nugget that you said about being able to write a book and have the opportunity to write a book is that you actually make a distinction about the fact that you just didn't write a book and put it up on Amazon and said, okay, you slapped your name on that, even though, you know, it might be really great content, but you deliberately wrote a book and contributed to a book that was sort of in the industry. So the industry leaders would really see your name, right? Absolutely. And I became the de facto expert on that topic, which is the topic of these companies called global distribution companies, Sabre, Worldspan, Amadeus, Galileo, which is now owned by a company called Travelport. And so now anytime the investment community needs information on the GDS industry, I'm the person that they call. And so I've been working for the last 12 years uh, for a company in New York called Gerson Lehman Group that 
just arranges one-hour phone calls with the investment community, and that has been great fun because I just get to talk about the trends and what I see in the industry and what do I think about online travel, and uh, that has been really, really wonderful. My kids are always amazed that I can get paid over $500 an hour to talk on the phone. They said, could we take a call for you? (laughs) (laughs) Like, no, I don't think it works that way. I love that. Do you share with your kids about kind of how your business model works and the revenue flow and all that sort of stuff? I definitely do. My kids are just about to turn 14 and 16. One is in seventh grade and one is a sophomore in high school. Certainly my sophomore is is much more in tune with what I'm doing. My now 13-year-old, he just wants to have a fishing show on TV. So (laughs) uh, I'm helping him with the business of that. I think it's really important to uh, be really open with your kids about not only what it is that you do, but how you do it and why you choose to do it. Mm. So let's use that as a transition to get into what we're calling sort of this third phase of your business life, which is really doing sort of like technology because you kind of touched on that towards the latter part of your consulting. So you still have your consulting company solutions and it's really started building out pockets of some interesting business opportunities for you. So can you talk a little bit about where you are right now, what sort of projects you're working on? Well, I I will. And again, to provide that proper transition, what ended up happening is my company grew and grew and grew. We were a multi-million dollar consulting firm and mostly using a virtual model of finding the right talent for the right project. And I only had a small core team. My husband worked for me full time. We had a bookkeeper and I had an assistant who managed my schedule and and she was actually fairly broad. She could do some, some research projects for me behind the scenes for my client. But what I found out, well, first of all, I was trying to find other people to help run the consulting firm because I got really, really tired of the nitty gritty of managing subcontractors and even managing clients. And so I brought in some people to help. I set up a hospitality practice. I set up a technology practice. And all of a sudden, our business went crazy. We did 40 projects for 20 clients in our busiest year. And that is the only year we lost money. Really? Yes. Because that, explain that. That's interesting. Deal, the average deal value went from a quarter of a million dollars down to fifteen or 20000 and they thought they were heroes bringing in lots of contracts. But the reason I'm telling you this story, and I realize I'm digressing a little bit, is that year I was so tired. I remember getting off of a plane in Tampa, Florida, where I live, and walking up the jet bridge and feeling like I was climbing Mount Everest. I was bone tired. Well, I went to the doctor. And As it turns out, it took a couple of months for me to even realize this. He called me one day, you know, since I hadn't followed up with my uh, annual physical and told me that my hemoglobin number was heart attack level. I mean, it was so low. And I had actually just gotten back from Peru where we had gone to see our nanny's family and had been up at 5,000 feet in northern Peru. And he said, you know, if I had even known you were contemplating doing that, I would never would have let you go. But long story short, I ended up having to have a hysterectomy. They couldn't find anything else wrong, but that would at least stop the loss of blood that was causing me to get to a really critical stage every month. And I chose the the full version of, of the hysterectomy. So I was out for three full months. Fortunately, wow. I signed a big contract before I left. 
But I laid on my back, literally, and for a month, I didn't even come downstairs. My kids were young, much younger then. I couldn't stand noise, and I really just took that time. I thought I was going to get all kinds of things done, make phone calls, write letters, and I swear to God, I laid on my back and I watched every season of West Wing. (laughs) And I mean, that is all I did. And, you know, when I did have time to think about my business, all I could think of was I felt trapped. I was completely trapped. And what I learned later from my husband is that our monthly expenses had grown home and business combined to $40,000 a month. That's how much I had to make just to break even. And I didn't know. I had been doing it for so long, but I didn't know. So I have to give that as a backdrop because the day I came back to work in January of 2006, I went into my husband's office about noon and I said, honey, I don't want to be here. And he looked at me and he said, oh, it's your first day back. Just go home and put your feet up. I said, I don't think you understand what I'm saying. I don't want to be here. I can't do this anymore. I don't want to be a consultant. And he turned white as a sheet. Now, uh, that's, of course, because he knew the $40,000 number and that I couldn't just stop making money because he had worked for me for all these years. He didn't have an income separate from me. And so we went through a couple of months of soul searching because you can't just stop. I mean, clearly you can't just stop. But we were in a a good position financially that I had some money that we could invest in something. So I started seeking, you know, what I could do. And I was tired of telling other people what to do and really giving them brilliant ideas and having them not act on them. And so I thought, well, you know what? I'm just going to build the things that I've been telling them to build. And because I am a travel technology expert, I had a really good idea of where I should start. And so in in 2006, I set out to build a solution for the bulk of travelers in this country, 85% who drive versus those who fly, and ended up raising $7 million, a million of our own resources and $6 million from a, a local angel investor here in Tampa, and built up a company. So that that's kind of the story of how I got there and what I did. I'll let you comment on that and then we can move on from there. Well, I think that's so brilliant. And thank you so much for sharing that because I think it's so important for all of us as businesswomen to really hear that even when your company's growing and from the outside, it looks very productive and that it's going very well, you constantly have to keep in check with what the soul of what you're doing (laughs) really is. And I think I I really appreciate you being so honest about that because I think we can get caught up in what's the growth and is the company growing and more and more clients isn't this great, but more and more clients doesn't always mean better business. And it certainly doesn't always mean that you're really happy doing what you're doing. So there's a lot to be said about you really, for you and your husband, being willing to do the work to do the soul searching to figure out really where you wanted to go and and actively taking steps towards that. So So you decided that you were going to actually invest in and build out some of these companies of these ideas that you had had. Take us from there. Like, so you built that initial application and technology for those who drive. And then what happened? Well, The amazing thing is my partner at the time was the former CEO of Sabre. And so she brought a lot of cachet from having run a very, very large multi-billion dollar company in the travel industry. And 
she and I, before we even wrote the first line of code, in fact, I'm not even sure we had done our first PowerPoint, went to the current CEO of Sabre and asked him, or actually I think he may have been the head of Travelocity at the time, but we asked him, if we build this, would you put it on Travelocity? And he said yes. And so unlike most entrepreneurs who would go off in their garage and build whatever little thing that they were going to do, we set out to build a product that we knew in the spring of 2007 we were going to launch on Travelocity. And it doesn't get much better than that. So we put together a team. I happen to be very adept uh, from my consulting days at pulling the right people into a project at the right time. I also am fairly convincing of my vision and can easily find people who are willing to do it for a piece of the action, which I hadn't done before, but this made a lot of sense and people wanted to go on that journey with me. And so we started off, we found a development company that would build the technology and that was really the bulk of our cost. That's why we needed the money from the investor. And we set off, started to design it and build it and I write the specs, I helped design the screens, everything. And we spent about three and a half million dollars. Anyway, we, we finished the development. We were a little bit, a little bit later than we would have liked. But by that time, I realized I didn't really want to run the company on a day-to-day basis. So I convinced my investor that we should put together a management team then raise additional capital based on that team that we had put together. And, you know, anyone who has raised any kind of money, this is always core to what you're doing. People are investing in the people, less so in the ideas, but in your ability to execute. So I hire the head of AOL Travel. I hire the head of EDS Travel and Transportation to be the CEO. And I hire a former executive from AAA National. And AAA, of course, was kind of the the guide of road travel in the industry. They were the only ones who had really focused on it. So I had this dream team to come and run the company. And so I was going to step back and just be the chairman, be the strategic advisor to the company, and let them run with it. I I wanted that experience of, of being the board of directors as opposed to being the one executing. And In theory, it sounded really great. In practice, it ended in a lot of heartbreak, not because of who they were, but just the whole series of events. And and, uh, this is what I I wrote about in my book, Bootstrap Business, which was simply a, this is a compilation book of stories of how the entrepreneurial spirit shapes business success. But in my case, it was about failure as teacher and what I learned from that business. And uh, again, to distill that story down just quickly for you, we raised $7 million, including uh, a big chunk of my own resources, and we launched the product in October of 2007. With Travelocity. Yes, on Travelocity under the, the brand Road Trip Wizard. They put us in rotating ad space on, on four places on their site. Uh, on the hotel page, on the car rental page, I think on the air ticket page, and one other place I don't recall where. What I didn't realize is that rotating ad space doesn't work when you have a utility tool for people to use because if they find it once, they can never find it again. And so we had no traffic. We had no bookings. And two months later, well, actually a month later, we won one of the top industry awards 
for new products on the market. And three weeks later, my husband and I went on a cruise for my 50th birthday. And we were gone 14 days. And when we came back, the company had been shut down. What? And all of my friends had been let go, those who had seen me through a year, because we didn't have enough business to maintain the level of spending, which, again, you, you have to have the inflow to keep the outflow coming. Wait, how long, uh, how and, long was this that you, know, you had launched Oh, my it? gosh. Like a month? We, we launched on October 24th, and I, w- I got back from my cruise on December 14th. So was there ever a conversation with Travelocity about let's shift our strategy of how we're actually launching on the site and how people are finding us? Was there ever that conversation, or was it literally like just pull the plug, it's not working? Well, there are a lot of things that happen. And again, I was not involved in the day-to-day operation of the company at that point. In fact, the building that we had been in, uh, my husband and I owned, and I asked that the the new company find its own space because we wanted to sell that building, and then I moved home. So I wasn't in the office at all. And in fact, on the day that we launched, they had a launch party at the end of the day, and it was one of the saddest things I've ever attended because I wasn't a part of the day-to-day like I should have been. This was my my dream and my baby that was being launched. So this this great idea of you being the chairman and sort of being out of the day-to-day, you sort of were realizing, oh, I kind of... It kind of sucks because yeah. I'm not really left, in the nitty-gritty. I left gritty. too early. I left too early. If I learned, and, and again, it, it, it's no indictment of these individuals that I brought in, but we didn't have a backup plan. We didn't have a backup client. And, and remember, we were launching our technology that was going to be plugged into other people's stuff. We weren't launching a brand. We weren't pending on Travelocity for, for the rest of our, our days. They were just a launch client. That, that was all. And there were a lot of things tactically that could have been done differently, but, you know, I'd prefer to focus on the strategic side of things, which is I stepped out too early. I didn't make sure that I had the daily voice in, in being really the, the sounding board and, and being the one, I liken it to being on the beach, sitting up on the lifeguard's chair where you can see that the, the sharks are coming and you can then deploy the people who are on the ground to go and get people out of the water. And, and I, I didn't get to play that role at, at the end of the day. And so it was very sad. And, and actually, the product stayed up on Travelocity for another six months, but almost everybody was let go. There was a, a shell uh, of a company that was, was uh, still operational. And within a month, I managed to get all of the leadership team to leave because they, they let everybody go and they stayed employed. <laughs> oh, and wow. so within a month, I, I took back over the company and and uh, tried to sell the assets. So I spent the entire year of, of 2008 trying to sell the assets of the company. And uh, it, it was finally at the end of that year, which remember the economy was cratering by then. So I had been three years without income. I could not find a buyer for the company. And so I had to go back to my investor and say, look, I am really, really sorry, but I have to stop. And I, I can't keep working full time to try to sell this thing. And so that was when I had the opportunity to contribute to the book Bootstrap Business with Tom Hopkins and Jack Canfield and John Christensen. So I took that opportunity to at least provide a chronology of what had happened within the legal parameters of what I was allowed to talk about. Then I, I just decided I needed to move on and spent a, a year launching my own radio show, which I just leveraged my, my consulting company brand solutions and launched Solutions Live. I uh, have done over 400 radio shows for that and took a year off really just to regroup. But of course, 
financially, it was not a great time to be taking off because my husband had worked for me, remember? So we got in pretty dire financial straits by 2010 and finally did have to declare personal bankruptcy, which uh, while it sounds like a really sad part of my story, it was really, really good for the kids to not have everything that they had always wanted, which is how they had grown up. And we just really had to regroup as a family and a business. My husband ended up in 2012 going back out into the workforce. And I had to take over as mom, which I guess I should say that that's career number four. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm now balancing that with the launch of my current technology company, which I have decided to do on my own without outside investment. I'm funding the entire development myself. We launched our first client actually in uh, September of this last year when we finished the first version of the product. The product's called Trip Plans. And our first client, strangely enough, was Tributes.com, who publishes an online obituary. And in that obituary, when you look at the funeral service, there's a little line that says, book travel to the service. When you click on that, it's our product. So we have built a tool that Trip enables any event, any venue. We also have a product called Hotels by Hospitals. So we are embarking on, again, trying to change the world. I can't help myself but wanting to do that. And so we are changing the world a trip at a time. We give 10% of our revenues back to the charity of choice of our clients. So I've changed my name from entrepreneur to philanthropreneur because we also have a product called Traveling to Give, which can be used by nonprofits. And I'm really just devoted to using everything I learned in my consulting practice, everything I know about travel technology and marketing, and having a business where I can still spend time with my family and my kids. As I mentioned, they're in middle school and high school, and it's, it's a pretty important time to be there for them. Chicky, I want to back up just a couple of of steps and really dig just a little deeper into that time in your life, that year or so that things really blew up for you, not only in the business, but also personally, you guys really having to to claim bankruptcy. What were you going through? Like, what was your emotional state at the time? I mean, it's obvious that you came back up, you decided you needed to keep on going, which is always, always, always a foundational characteristic of any awesome businesswoman. But share with us what that time was like for you. Like, what what did you really have to go through emotionally and how did you really get yourself back up? Well, a couple of things. Right before we launched Leisure Logics, the road trip business, My husband and I had taken some time actually separately and we went to a a weekend retreat. Um, The men go one weekend and the women go another. And we had been invited by by our neighbors. They had asked us a couple of times if we were interested in going. And and we ended up going. And I expected my husband to go through a a real overhaul because it it was a faith-based weekend. And and I really felt like he needed to understand that he couldn't keep just plugging into me for everything. I had accepted the role as primary breadwinner, but sometimes I felt like he had a power strip attached to my back and that he was following me around with plugs whenever he needed to get charged on something. And, And so he was plugged into my faith. He was plugged into my earning ability my parenting style, all all those things. And and I finally had to just say, I I can't do this anymore. My source, I'm plugged in. And my source is where I get all of my energy and where I get my, my will to go on when things look the blackest. And so again, I, we went 
through this weekend experience, and I expected him to do the overhaul, me to get a tune-up. And what I found, and and this is going to be a little astounding uh, for women to hear, but I wanted him to be the leader of our home. I wanted him to be the leader with our children. I wanted him to, to lead in a positive way, even in our business. And it it hadn't happened, and, and we had some pretty dark days in our marriage before all of this occurred. But had we not go, gone through that weekend experience, uh, again, uh, being a faith-based experience to finally get us on the same page, we would not be married today. And what ended up happening is is he, rather than being plugged into me, finally got plugged into the source himself And I had, in the beginning, I had to start saying, when the kids would come to me and ask me something, I'd say, you know, go ask your father. He's the head of the home. And I didn't believe it any more than, you know, just it being noise coming out of my mouth. But, (laughs) oh, gone it, if it didn't happen. And pretty soon, he's stepping up, and he's spending time working on himself and, and getting strong. And it was unbelievable. But had we not gone through that, the experience of the what can be the humiliation of bankruptcy, I, I don't know that we would have made it. But the fact of the matter is that I knew, I, and I have the gift of faith. I really do. Some people really have to struggle to you know, believe everything's going to turn out. I just know God's in control, and I don't have to worry about it. And it's a great relief for me. And so what happened is, as we were going through those dark days, they weren't dark at all, actually. You know, I do remember the day that they wheeled our Crystal Springs bottled water cooler out of the house because it was symbolic of this loss of of uh, of everything, you know. But it, it has been good. And, you know, I know a lot of people, it is devastating. But for us, it really was just an open door to the next chapter of our lives without debt, without, and again, we didn't have any consumer debt. That that wasn't what the bankruptcy was about. It was about protecting our assets from what had happened with the business. And so it was a, a strategic move as, as opposed to a, a tactical move. We weren't late on our, our house payments or anything, but, but it was the right thing to do. And we've never looked back from that case. But boy, when you're in an entrepreneurial situation like that, where, you know, you have to pay payroll with MasterCard and Visa and find a way to make things work, you know, you really do have to figure out how far you're willing to go. And and I learned the meaning of the word leverage. We leveraged everything. First mortgage, second mortgage, second mortgage on my mother-in-law's house, insurance policies. I mean, we have no money for our kids' college. And I've got a sophomore and a seventh grader. But you know what? It's going to be okay. And it's one of the reasons why I've shifted my business strategy on consulting. I still do consulting, but I do it for a percentage of the company that I'm working with so that when they succeed and when they sell, I get a piece of the action and then I can pay for my kids' college. (laughs) So your new phase of where your business is now, Solutions as a consulting company really acts as sort of an incubator that ends up walking people through the phases that they need to go. And then you end up being an investor in the company, which is very, very smart. So, you know, you have stake in it, they have stake in it, and then all parties can go ahead and just move with force forward. Absolutely, absolutely. And and from my ranks of the people who work with me at Solutions, I can put leadership teams in place for an early stage company maybe that has a great idea but doesn't have a chief marketing officer or doesn't have the executive leadership that they need. And a lot of companies fail not because they don't have a great idea, but it's because they don't have the right 
talent to really get through those early days and to know when it's time to bring in a professional team. I just brought mine in way too soon. I brought in the right people just at the wrong time. So lots of lessons learned. And if you can't learn from failure, then you shouldn't be an entrepreneur. And you will hear, and and especially if you go back and read something like Bootstrap Business where you hear everyone's stories, all the real successful people have failed at least once. And so I thought, great, I've got mine out of the way. Now I can move (laughs) on. Yay. You've got the epic failure out. Um, Yes. Speaking of, you know, your book that you have written, what have been some of the other business books that you have read that have really made an impact on you as a leader, but also how you have run your companies? My favorite and the most impactful is a book called The Go-Giver by Bob Berg and John David Mann. And they were one of the first interviews I did on my radio show because their book is a very, very simple business parable about giving and, in fact, also about receiving. And some of us are really, really good at giving, but we don't take time to receive. And if you just try to exhale and exhale and exhale and never inhale, it doesn't work. You have to take in as well as give out. And so that book was a real eye-opener for me because I had already decided I wanted this next phase of my business to be about giving. But I'm also having to look at where I need to receive from others. Chicky, I really want to end this conversation by pointing out the fact that you said a little earlier that you really want to change the world. And that's what you're doing with this technology. That's what you're doing with the the intricacies of these businesses that you're a part of. What advice would you give to other businesswomen out there who really want to build a business or build something where they're really making a, a big impact, where they're really changing the world? What advice would you give to those women? Well, I'm an enormous fan of innovation and differentiation. And so much of what passes for innovation, certainly in my own industry, is very, very incremental change. Or worse, change within this very, very tiny niche within the industry that my entire multi-billion dollar industry has grown off of, which is the air traveler, which is only 15%. Find the 85% that needs your attention because I'm sure my industry isn't the only one. But true innovation and and true differentiation is what is going to give us sustainable growth and success. And while you're doing that, make sure you're finding some way to give back, whether that is mentoring someone within your company, mentoring someone outside of your company who just could benefit from your experience, But give back. Give of yourself. Give of your profit. The more you give, the more you will make. And Chicky, what is ahead for you? What is the vision for what you're doing? Well, as I said, changing the world one one trip at a time is our mantra. My personal mantra is making money while I sleep because making money while you're awake and having to be on every day or the money stops is way too hard. So my new business is a transactional business where we make money on the bookings that are made. So hotels by hospitals, we plug our widget into the website of the hospital and then all the friends and family of the patient that need to come in, use that booking engine, and we are making money while we sleep, helping others at the same time, 
but we don't have to always be buying keywords to drive business to our website or doing things that back when I was consulting, you had to consult every day to make money and you couldn't take three months off. And I, I really want some free time. I was inspired by listening to your last interview you did of, of the how to make seven figures while you're blogging oh, yeah. and listening to her story of uh, how she just wanted to be able to travel. She wanted to be able to, you know, buy her parents a house if she wanted to. Well, you know, I don't have parents that are living anymore, but, you know, I would really like to be able, I, I'd like to be able to have a debit card that I could give to my church and tell them whenever you need it, just use it and to not even have to worry about what the bank balance is. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that to me, that will be the mark of my success. I love that. Well, it's no doubt telling from your past history that you've had and all the different ups and downs that you've had. It is no doubt to me that whatever you put your sights on, you're really going to succeed at. So I really want to thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing your story. So much wisdom in the very robust history that you've had and you and the business story that you continue to tell. So thank you so much for being so open and for sharing your wisdom here. Well, it has been my pleasure. I love being able to share not only the successes, but I think the failures are are a critical part. And if we're not willing to be transparent about those days, other people can't get past where they are. Uh, And sometimes they're in a dark place. So the sun will rise tomorrow. It always does. So just if it's dark and and you can't see forward, uh, just wait. It's going to come up. show notes for my conversation with Chicky at bizwomenrock.com forward slash 40. I truly loved this conversation with Chicky. I loved how open she was. And I love the fact that she just had such just a cool story. Like it was like I said in the beginning, like it, I really felt like I was listening to an audiobook um, and just hearing about her experience. But I was really appreciative of the fact that she was so willing to share some of those lowest of low moments and things that we don't really you know, would normally see as being so sexy and such things that we really want to talk about. And she was really willing to talk about it because I think that just like she said, it makes sure that you and I can really connect with something there and we can see that she continues to move forward and there's power in that. So I really appreciated that. Hope you got something great out of it. If you did, let me know on the BWR Connect. I would love to hear about it and how it pertains to you and your business. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you on the next episode. Oh, 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 oh,